Um, if you are here and you are a child, raise your hand. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question after I read our passage, okay? And the question is, who is this written to? Okay? So let me read our passage, and then you're going to have to give me an answer. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So who is this written to? You can shout. This is a time in church you can shout, okay? Children and fathers and parents. Well, yeah, everyone, you're right, okay? This is to everybody. But I think I, I, I wanted to make the point that is significant because sometimes we have the view that um, the Bible is written to adults and children just can't understand it. Uh, here you have this passage in Ephesians that uh, this was read in the church in Ephesus and probably other churches. And so what this means is that Paul is addressing children. What it means is that they were there. That's really important. It does not say, parents, tell your children later that they're to be obedient to you. It says, children, obey your parents. Children are a part of the church community. They are, they are a valuable part of the church community. As a church, we desire for our children to know that they are part of this church. And so we do everything we can to have children to be incorporated in all that we do as a church body. Uh, because this is, this is what kids need as they grow up. They need you as godly parents, and they need to know other adults, and they need to be involved in the broader church. You've probably heard me talk before about my uh, view that the church should be like the family table. Uh, do you remember as a kid when you went to family Thanksgiving, and if you're, especially if you were an unruly kid, and you went to family Thanksgiving, and they always had the wobbly card table where everything was plastic, and you maybe even had a plastic sheet or tarp underneath it, and you were sent to that room so the adults could do adult things, and you could do kid things. Uh, the church is the family table where there's going to be every Sunday a kid screams. And you should know it doesn't bother me. Sometimes I can't even tell afterwards. Someone will say, wow, there's a screaming kid. No idea. Um, uh, they, we want them to be a part of our community. Uh, just like the family table, there's going to be milk spilled. There's going to be adults might have to be careful with conversation. Uh, but the kids know if they're at the family table growing up, they know this is where they'll always be. And in the church, it's the same thing. This is where we always want you to be, gathered with us around people that are much older and much younger this is the church. And as we gather together, uh, we need to remember that it is a blessing 
when parents bring children. It's a wonderful thing. When a kid screams, we should all smile with joy that that parent brings their child. It really is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. And there's room in the back. You can wander around. Um, anyway, it is really important for kids, uh, they're, they're for kids as they grow in their faith to be involved in the intergenerational structure of the church. They're around people. So the beginning part of this passage addresses uh, children and it also addresses parents. Uh, I was going to mention one of the things that uh, we do, we have a little children's bulletin and has questions here um, and then a little explanation in the back of how we value our kids. Uh, this is important uh, not only for kids to have, to color and draw, to write things down, but also as parents where you can go home and you can ask them about this. And you can have conversations about what we do as a church. This passage uh, specifically mentions parents and children. Um, parents are part of this uh, because they need to hear this encouragement. We can't just say, uh, children, obey your parents without addressing parents in how they parent. Because that could lead us to horrible danger. Uh, you, as parents, you have a significant responsibility uh, to parent and care for your children. Um, so this begins with, children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is uh, quoting the fifth commandment. But it's interesting, it mentions obedience and it mentions honor. Children, obey your parents. Children are to obey their parents. This word honor, and I, I wanted to bring this up because I get this question from adults whose parents are still parenting them. And they say, what do I do? Because the Bible says to honor your father and your mother. And that is a lifelong thing. Here it says, children, obey your parents. As we grow into adulthood, we are to continually, from when we're young, honor our father and mother. This word honor uh, is used in the Bible to talk about, it, it, it mentions something weighty. It talks about Pharaoh's weighty power, Abraham's weighty Wealth. That's what that word honor means. It has to do with uh, scales and weight and measure. And so when you're an adult, uh, you are to honor your father and mother by taking their advice as something weighty, something significant, to listen to it. It doesn't mean you have to do exactly what they tell you because you are an adult, but you are called to honor them by listening and taking, um, taking their view on things. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother, which is uh, this commandment that continues. Um, as parents, especially parents involved in a uh, church, uh, uh, and you have faith in Jesus, we want our kids to grow up with the same faith. Uh, but I have heard some parents um, say that they don't want to push uh, 
Christian faith on their children. Uh, They don't want to influence them too much. They want them just to grow up and be able to make a free decision, and then uh, they know that whatever decision they make, then that's the real decision for them. Hopefully, you see, that's really a horrible thing. And really, it's inconsistent as parents. Because we might say that about faith, but then if your family is a Rockies fan, how old is that child before you put them in a little Rockies uniform? They're young. They have no idea. No idea what they're wearing. You are fine to influence them to love the Rockies. But somehow you think they have to grow up and do this whole thing separately from you. Uh, And that is not how we are called to raise our children. We We are called to train our children to walk with Jesus. As we, as adults, are learning to walk with Jesus. And both those things are really important in the family structure. We understand our kids are learning. We understand as adults, we're learning also. I've read numerous articles. I worked in youth ministry for about 10 years. Um, I think it's one of the hardest jobs in the church. Uh, Because you have parents who all love their kids and all have views of what you're supposed to do. And then you have kids who all have a view of what you're supposed to do. And then you have leader of the, leadership of the church that all have a view of what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and it is a very challenging job and a wonderful calling. But it's interesting if you uh, do some research on what are characteristics of kids that walk with Jesus uh, into college and through college. What are, what are characteristics of their life that they get Um, One of them is that parents have a growing, authentic relationship with Jesus. Two, the gospel is talked about at home. You have a home that you talk about spiritual things. You talk about the Rockies. You talk about Jesus. Prayer and Bible reading are part of family life. This is just a normal thing that they do. An involvement in the life, the whole life of the local church that they gather on Sunday morning with the adults. So think about this. From ages 5 to 18, so we have nursery and children's church up through kindergarten. Um, So from 5 until 18, you you have kids, and they're part of your weekly gathering with us for worship. That is roughly 580 times that they gather and they listen to you sing. They hear you as you're reverent before God, as you confess your sin, as you hear the assurance of pardon, as we pray together as a community. They hear the Bible read. They hear a sermon based on the Bible. They see communion. And they ask about, what is that? And they see the little cups, like our kids. Can I do that? Because I love those little cups. And we have long discussions about what it means to take communion. 580 times your children have that opportunity. And also, that means 580 times you as the family have participated in the exact same thing. And you can go home. And now, 
Have a discussion about it. During the day, kids go to school, parents go to work, uh, they come home and they have to tell each other, well, this is what I did and you weren't there and so it's not going to make any sense. Well, if we're all here together as a community, uh, we've started this spiritual conversation and you have the great opportunity to continue this together, not only as adults, but also as parents of your children. You can talk to them about what did we do this Sunday? You can ask them questions like, how did God encourage you today in worship? What was a phrase in the sermon that God used that was really interesting to you, that stuck out? How would you summarize the sermon? Maybe ask questions like, how do your children think, who, who do your children think would be a good family for you to connect with this week or this month to have over for dinner? Include them in all of those. Children are a valuable part of the church community. But it's very hard. Um, now, I want to, I'm not against uh, traditional youth ministry in churches. I'm not against all that. The elders, what we're doing now is we're wrestling through what does our family ministry look like? What do we need to implement to uh, grow kids from nursery through high school to give them opportunities to grow in their faith? Um, but what's a struggle for me, is, and this is working in youth ministry, it, is, it has a 50% success rate. 50% of uh, youth that are involved in a youth, traditional youth ministry program uh, do not walk with Jesus in college. And remember, I read those four things that are impactful, that are keys to your children walking with Jesus. None of them mentioned youth group. Again, I'm not against youth group, but what I want you to understand is the role that you have as parents and the role that you have as you're sitting next to a kid that is your friend's kid. You have a great responsibility. Uh, when we think that we can just deal with uh, children over here and, and sort of fix them and guide them and, and they're going to be fine, uh, we miss the whole structure of the family that God has put in place. And that's what this passage is about. Last week we talked about marriage. This is about family. And the next one is about work and occupation. Uh, this point stuck out to me years ago when I worked in uh, youth ministry. There was a student, uh, his name was Ben, and he was always an angry kid. And one day before youth group, we were walking in the door, and he took a closed-fisted swing at, another, at a teenage girl. I was like, oh my gosh. And so we met with the family and tried to figure out what to do and help and you know, there's a little bit of progress, but then it was probably a month later that I was in the church parking lot, and I heard uh, someone yelling from the corner of the parking lot, and it was Ben's dad. And Ben's dad was yelling in a way that was demeaning and rude to Ben, that Ben had to do right, exactly what he told him right then. And that's when I began to realize more and more there's a family issue. It's not just this kid, Ben. Ben is growing up in a home where uh, this kind of reaction is normal. 
And so when he's put in a situation where he's fearful, he doesn't know, know what to do with his emotions, what does he do? He lashes out. God has put the family in place as a significant uh, structure for how we are to operate as people. Disobedient children are a symptom of a disintegrating family and also a disintegrating society. Uh, To disobey parents is, is named in Romans 1 as one of these horrible sins where people uh, leave their creator and they serve creation instead. And this list is slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient children. Obedience requires a conscious, active listening. Children, uh, your obedience to your parents, is you honoring God. God has put you in a family with the parents that you have for a specific reason. Uh, And your parents are not perfect. They are trying to figure out what does it mean to raise another human being. (laughs) And they're working through this. This commandment, it says this is uh, the only commandment with, the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Children, as you are obedient to your parents, that you may, uh, it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. This is uh, early on when this is first talked about in the Ten Commandments. It's talking about uh, the land uh, of Israel, the promised land. But the audience of this, this is Ephesus, mostly Gentiles. Um, but as you, if you know, as the Bible progresses, this idea of the promised land grows into all the land of the earth, and then it grows into the new heavens and the new earth. This promised land is a land, uh, is a place of long life. John Stott says, a healthy society is um, inconceivable without a strong family life. And then as Paul is bringing this short section to a close, he addresses fathers specifically in verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, children learn lessons as parents, and here specifically fathers, as they model what does it mean to walk with Jesus. The responsibility is placed on both child and parent. We, we err in this if we say, well, this is a passage that only tells children what they're supposed to do. And parents don't have to pay attention. Or this is a passage that only tells parents what to do and children really don't have to do anything. Paul addresses both. And the address to fathers is do not provoke your children to anger. And as children grow, parents have to grow. 
Uh, there's something about marriage that forces you to grow as a human being, and also parenthood that forces you to grow as a human being. And as parents grow, uh, they need to be aware of what's happening as their children grow. I read this somewhere. Anything I say that's ever smart or makes sense, I read somewhere else. But I don't remember exactly where I read this. But it's talking about parenthood, that we go through these phases of um, control, direct, and advise as your child grows. So your, uh, your infant child uh, that is yours, you are the parent, you control that child's life. You, you not only tell them when they're going to eat, you tell them exactly what they're going to eat. It does not matter. You're eating this, you're sleeping here, uh, this is your life. They know no different. But as they begin to grow, then you become the director of their life. Uh, when they're infants, you, you arrange a play date uh, with another family so they can have someone to play with. When they move into primary school, they're going to want to hang out with kids that you might not know. Um, and you're going to have to give them direction on what does it mean to be a true friend? How do you care for people? What does it mean to be wise and make good decisions? But you need to be able to let go of that control. And then you get to a place where you are now the advisor to your children. Where you can, you can talk with them and say, hey, how are you going to get this done? And they can say, well, I think I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you can say, okay, that makes sense. That's a good idea. Or, well, maybe think about this thing. And they're going to grow. Uh, I think all of us have seen uh, the damage that many parents have done when they keep the control stage all the way through till their 18th birthday. And then they shake their hand and give them a hug and say, now you're an adult, what are you going to do? And they have no idea what they're going to do because they haven't had opportunity to fail and struggle. And so as parents, we need to grow. And I talk to my kids about this, especially my oldest, who's not here and sick. Uh, we have the flu, I think. Well, I know we have the flu in our home. Anyway, um, I talk to her when we begin to have a little conflict about something. I just say, I'm learning too. This is the first time I've had a 16-year-old daughter named Ella. And so I need her help to help me to parent her. And so we're going to have more conflict because I'm figuring it out. And then this is going to happen with every one of these four kids. But I need to be able to grow as a parent just like our children need to be able to grow. But what, what happens is if we don't let go as parents of this control, then what, what, one thing it breeds in us is anger. It breeds anger because the kid is not doing exactly what we told them to do, where that could be something where we just need to be an advisor in. And to struggle, I mean, that's so hard is because there's not this clear path. This is exactly how you raise a child, and then you're done. It is another human being, and it is mysterious. This is where a father's anger is revealed. Many times it's not the kid, but the father. And the father's lack of ability to grow as their child grows. And this lack of growth fuels anger in the father's heart because he is not in control. 
When parents move through these phases with their children, the children learn their responsibilities and they return for the advice of their parents when they do not need to. Uh, I look forward to the day that uh, I am fully in the advisory role of all of these four kids. And they can call me and ask me, uh, hey, Dad, what would you do in this? Does this make sense to me? Can you help me process through something? I look forward to that. But that is not going to happen unless I give them opportunities as they grow. And they're going to fail. They're going to break stuff. They're going to spill stuff. And it is going to be completely inconvenient. But it's another human being. And as a parent, you are called to raise another human being. It also, Paul also says, uh, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction are not the same thing. Discipline is corrective. Instruction is formative. Discipline is corrective. Instruction is formative. Formative instruction should be happening all the time within your home. And this, a part of this is spiritual formation of your children. You are training them on what it means to walk with Jesus. Corrective d- discipline happens as issues arise. Ted Tripp in his book, uh, Instructing a Child's Heart, says, if the only time we, we instruct is when our children need discipline, our children will not listen to our instruction for they fear the discipline. Take time in your life with your children to debrief their life and to ask them good questions. Ask them questions that will draw out what is in their heart. And this is work, and it takes time. But here's a key. It's never going to be a yes and no question. It is always going to be a question that's going to lead them to communicate something, and you're giving them the platform to do that. We can't forsake discipline as parents. We cannot forsake formative instruction. These are keys to forming and raising our children. Parenthood is one of the hardest roles to participate in as an adult. And the great thing is, this has been going on throughout human history that people have raised children. You are not the first one. And so if you have questions about what, how do you raise teenagers, how do you get to this role of being an advisor, they're not here, but I would speak with uh, the Willocks, Kurt, uh, no, Carl. This is going to be embarrassing later if he listens to this. <laughs> Hi, Carl. <laughs> um, talk to the Willocks. Uh, If you want to talk to someone raising teenagers, talk to the Van Arsdales. If you want to talk to people who have uh, kids that are grown, talk to Dan and Melissa Clute. If you want to talk to a family that has little kids, talk to the Lillivigians. Talk to the Larsons. As a community, we need each other. And we need people to, as parents, we need other parents we can go to and say, This is what I'm doing, and it's not working. I need some help. I need some wisdom. 
But one of the best things you can do for your children is engage them in spiritual conversations. My view is, if someone shows up to church, I can ask them what they believe. They're here. They came voluntarily. I can ask them what they believe. If they live in your home, you can ask them what they believe. What was interesting about the sermon? What made sense to you? What didn't make sense to you? What questions do you have? You have this great platform now to have a discussion about this passage all week long. And then our order of worship is, is printed out. One of the reasons we do this is because you go home and you all have it. And you think, you might think, well, how can I have spiritual conversations with my kids? You have this. You can go home, you can talk about the songs, talk about what is confession of sin. Our, our, our order of worship walks us through the gospel. So what can you do if you're here and you feel like this just wasn't for you because you don't have kids? Uh, you are vital to this community because you have great wisdom that parents who have kids need. And you know what else we can all do? Just learn the names of the kids. I know, that sounds hypocritical. I just forgot Carl Willock's name. I'm horrible at names. But I'm growing too, and you all know that. Learn, learn the names of the kids and ask them good questions. Get to know them. Joke with them. Let them know that they're, vi they're a vital part of this community. And as God is guiding parents as we raise our children, God is working on us as parents and refining our heart and revealing idols of comfort and success or that we just feel like we can manage something really well. But God wants to dig deeper in your heart and not just make you someone who manages your life well. He wants to dig deeper in your heart. And he wants those things to be revealed so there can be true heart repentance and restoration. This is a passage that reminds me that we're all in this together. We need each other. And you have the great opportunity to connect with people and to ask questions about their spiritual life and their walk and encourage parents. As we move from this to this, receiving the Lord's Supper, uh, let me pray as we prepare our hearts to receive of this this morning. <clears throat> Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father.